Good morning, and thank you for joining me. Many of you respect me and admire me and trust me, but last week I broke that trust. At one point in my podcast, What's NXT, that I record with my co-host Alec, he claimed that there was a match stipulation in the Cole Black match, saying the rest of Undisputed Era was banned from ringside. After attempting to confirm by scrubbing through the episode and looking online, I came to the conclusion that that was not the case. And as the person who edits the show, humorously included a wrong buzzer sound effect. I have since learned that that was added erroneously. Although WWE did not include information about this stipulation at any point in the match or written online, the fault apparently lies with me. I can only apologize, even though, when you think about it, this wasn't because of anything I did, but because the WWE only mentioned the stipulation once. This is hard for me and my family, and I ask the public respect our privacy as we get through these trying times. And I hope I can earn your trust in my humorous wrong buzzers again. Thank you. Welcome to What's NXT, the podcast about the best weekly wrestling television show, NXT. I'm Tristan Marsh. I'm Alec Basio. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. <laughs> no, fuck you. That's not your name. I know your name better than you know your name. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm sorry again. I shouldn't have used the buzzer on Alec's name. Alec knows his own name better than I know his name. Please bear with me as I hopefully learn and evolve on this very troubling wrong buzzer issue. <laughs> this is What's NXT for NXT episode number 426, December 20th, 2017. I, held her. I had to hold that blazer back. Never cry, marijuana, don't try it at all. It's like beating your head on a wall. Let's just get to 4.30 already. Jesus. <laughs> you love to blaze it. <laughs> yeah. Say no way. So how you doing, Alec? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah? Yep. How about we talk about some wrestling? Yes, let's talk about some wrestling. First, let's get a little bit of bullshit out of the way. What? Did you watch Raw this week? No. They announced the Women's Royal Rumble on Raw. Eesh. Eesh? I'm, I'm a little nervous. Why? Well, because Braun Strowman's going to come out and win it. Brauna Strowman? Yeah. They're going to pull a Santina Morella. And now, please welcome Miss WrestleMania! <laughs> fuck that. No, it's I, I, I'm hoping that they don't fuck it up as bad as women's money in the bank. No, they probably won't do that. That. I mean, actually, I shouldn't use the word probably. But now we know why they brought up all of those green performers to uh, the main roster. Yeah, someone's got to flip over those ropes. You watch SmackDown Live? Nah. 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 Oh, I saw some clips. You saw some clips? Of Daniel Bryan and, and, and Shane McMahon getting mad at each other. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, that seems pretty good. 
Also, I'm pretty pissed off that I missed the Yep movement. I looked that up. That's pretty hilarious. There's no doubt Shane McMahon is the worst McMahon of them all. Yep. He's trying to humiliate us. He's trying to make us lose our jobs because he couldn't defend his family's honor. Yep. I'm glad you find it hilarious. Yeah, I do. I love that they just put peas right on top. That was really good. Did you watch 205 Live? No. No? I did watch the... I did watch Dalton Castle win the Ring of Honor World Championship, or whatever they call it. That's almost 205 Live. <laughs> That's like 205 Live. Yeah, he beat Cody. Cody bleached his hair, so I was like, he's definitely gonna win. He's definitely gonna win now. He came out in a hood so no one could see. Cody looks like a uh, sci-fi Nazi from, like, a late 90s movie now. Yeah. No, I'm getting Rutger Hauer vibes. It's pretty fucking cool. Did you watch Clash of Champions, the pay-per-view? Um, you know what? I saw matches of it. I saw the tag match. That was, like, a clusterfuck. I was like, ugh. Can we just get rid of Shane McMahon already? Yep. I saw, like, most of the Jinder Mahal fight. I didn't get to watch the whole thing because of time. I thought it was good. I thought he's fine. I think he's actually fine. He just, he works really slow. I mean, obviously, AJ's really good. I don't think Jinder Mahal's a terrible wrestler anymore. I just think he's like a black hole for charisma. I've seen him in other stuff being himself. It would be awesome if more of that came through because he's actually a pretty funny, nice guy. He seems really humble in real life. When they were still doing Talking Smack, the like two times he got to be on Talking Smack, he was actually really cool. Yeah. But that went away because somebody doesn't believe in a show devoted to promos. Yeah, I guess that's probably part of it. Last but not least, did you watch any Sailor Moon this week? Yes. Oh, yeah, of course. It's pretty good. Very Ray-centric episode. She's one of my faves. <laughs> How about we get to the episode? Let's go for it. We start off the episode this week. Match number one, right off the bat, tag team champion Sanity, Killian Dane and Eric Young, versus Undisputed Era, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish for the NXT Tag Championship. I was a little surprised we were going to get a big championship match in the beginning of the show. And then I watched the whole thing and I was like, yes, this is where this match belongs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is definitely the warm up to the incredible shit that happens later on tonight. Mm hmm. The match starts out with Killian Dane absolutely demolishing Undisputed Era and Undisputed Era getting themselves over by force of charisma alone. Oh, yeah. However, after Eric Young tags in, Fish and O'Reilly finally start getting on top, resorting to Dirty Dealing and Adam Cole, baby. Adam Cole, baby! To almost get the win. A Nikki Cross run-in and everybody ending up outside the ring for what seemed like 20 minutes wraps up this match <laughs> with Fish and O'Reilly double-teaming Eric Young for the win. How'd you like this match, Alec? Really loved it. I'm going to say some stuff that I know you're going to be like, oh, I was going to say that. Because right off the bat, Bobby Fish is fucking amazing. Right in the beginning, grabbing Killian Dane and yelling, I got him. Fish, but Fish oh, using him. his speed advantage to climb on, on the back him. of <laughs> He jumps on Killian Dane's back. 
There, Fish has this whole string of amazing shit that he yells. <laughs> He's like truly the modern wrestler. Like he just realizes and appreciates how you can have fun and still kick the shit out of somebody. He jumps on Dane's back and puts him in a sleeper hold that he never quite gets enough of. As that sleeper hold doesn't have it effectively <laughs> applied, though, of course, of course, of course. And as Dane is walking around with him, piggybacking on him. It's completely unaffected. Completely unaffected. <laughs> completely unaffected. He's yelling, I got him, I got him. Kyle O'Reilly decides... Oh, now's my chance. He charges in and Killian Dane with fish on his back still yelling, I got him, just basically pushes him over and then drops fish on top of Kyle O'Reilly. <laughs> oh! I don't know how, but if I was the Undisputed Era, I'd try and make sure that I don't get in the ring until it's Eric Young in there. It's really, it's really amazing because it, it shows Dane is also... Dane has really good comedic timing, too. And he never speaks, so he's really fun. And I'm sure he really enjoyed working this match because he got a lot of really great action out of it. It starts right off the bat when the first thing that Fish does... Dane starts off for Sanity. The first thing that Fish does is he runs up and kicks Killian Dane in the inner thigh. And Killian Dane looks down at his leg, looks up at Fish, and starts aggressively walking at him. <laughs> Bobby Fish runs back and ties himself up in the ropes and is like, hey, back <laughs> off, man, back off. And while he's doing that, there's this shot up close of Bobby Fish. And just from the side of the screen, Kyle O'Reilly's head slides into view. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like smiling like a maniac <laughs> it's they, they just they understand they're such they're really great at wrestling they have really good character work but at the same time they're just so good at like home audience interaction just the way that they come out and just even when they come down to the ring and they're just doing like the shadow boxing that's like so stupid looking and just for like 20 minutes it's just like and then once they get into the ring, they get into a weird competitive gang sign off where they're both yeah. doing it. But one of them is always trying to get in front of the other one doing it. And Bobby Fish flexes his bicep and points at it with his T-shirt on. So you can't see it. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, you've got to realize, I mean, you've got to think that these guys know exactly what they're doing. They because must because really funny. for some reason they're being so entertaining and they don't get a lot of crowd response. And the way that Bobby Fish deals with that is to yell at the audience, come on, give it to me, while waving at his ear. Like, fuck you guys. <laughs> How do you not understand you're supposed to cheer for us? It's pretty great. I mean, he's, he's really good. I had no clue that Bobby Fish was this entertaining. He's really great. <laughs> Probably my favorite moment of Fish in the beginning of this match mm. is Fish and O'Reilly are doing a lot of fast tags, taking turns attacking Dane, and nothing is affecting him. And finally, Fish tags in, 
dodges under Dane's elbow and hits Killian Dane with this very impressive combo of kicks and punches. And Killian Dane just stands there like nothing has happened to him. And Fish's response is to look at Killian Dane and kind of half shrug and go, oh, come on. <laughs> Somebody's got to get in there and face Killian. You don't get a lot of people treating monsters not like they're scary, but like they're just like, what the fuck is it going to take? It's pretty refreshing, actually. It's really a lot of fun. Sanity's no slouch either because they're really fun and entertaining. We get some good stuff from them, too. Eric Young was really fun in this match as well in a way that I don't think people, because he's not so flashy, but he got a lot of really good selling off when he was getting double teamed. It really looked like he was like, oh, I'm having a tough time. I'm having a hard time. When he gets that big, you know, whatever, tope, the, the big suicide dive. Tope Suicida by Eric Young. It's chaos here. Through the ropes onto Adam Cole, just for the fuck of it. He gets up and we get a big, huge Eric Young. Yeah. 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 And it just made me so happy. And then he gets in and gets totally fucked. <laughs> he has to focus on defending the NXT oh. Tag Team titles. Big wait, mistake wait. by Eric Young. Obviously, we expect Killian Dane to be unstoppable. Yeah. But when Eric Young tags in, there's a lot of kind of back and forth between him looking like he's about to completely get dominated by Undisputed Era. But the thing that he has is he actually counters their tactics. That speaks of Young's experience, doesn't it? So, like, he does a lot of ducking, a lot of dodging. He knows what they're going to throw out. That's when they realize that they need to just completely start cheating. Time for plan B for the Undisputed Era, Nigel. Eric Young is on the apron. He's about to come back into the ring when Fish takes a cheap shot at him with the ref not looking. And Eric Young goes down to the outside, clutching his arm and screaming. And we go to commercial with Fish out in the audience hiding behind a barrier. Yeah, that was so good. He Like, he knew what he did was bad because he wasn't the active man at the time. So he gets he, he, he pulls a cheap shot and then you see him hiding. Like, he doesn't need to hide. It just emphasizes even more, I did a bad thing. <laughs> I gotta say, this whole episode has really amazing production. Yeah. It's a lot of very well-chosen shots that I don't think you think about when you think about wrestling. Going to commercial with a weird shot of fish in the audience behind a barrier is really fun. Having that close-in shot of Fish and having Kyle O'Reilly's head slide in is really fun. Yeah. But maybe the best shot of the whole night, I think it might be the best composed shot I've ever seen in wrestling. Adam Cole has run in and has crotched Eric Young on the turnbuckle, right? He's not involved in this match! He was getting he involved, involved in that match! But Eric Young kicks out it too, and Adam Cole is pissed off. He's pounding on the ring, and as he's pounding on the ring, in the background, from out of the audience, who do we see running in? It's Nikki Cross. 
And it's this wonderfully layered shot that's like, how much fucking planning did they have to do with the production crew to be like, I'm going to start pounding on the ring. And in the background, that's when Nikki Cross is supposed to show up. And it like tells a whole story just in that one shot. It does look like they're always positioned in the right spot. And usually this like gives you a, feeling like oh god this is like way overproduced but it's not i mean like it definitely feels like it could be a regular match but yeah when you break down like where the camera is and it's always catching stuff this is something that you know has been a problem is sometimes you'll completely miss a move connecting or a really dramatic thing because they do a cutaway but it just seems like they really know what they're doing on this you want to talk a little bit about undisputed airs dirty dealing it was it made me so happy. I was so nervous that what we have been talking about, and specifically you, I still have faith, was gonna come true and all of a sudden Adam Cole's not an undisputed era anymore. But at the end, they loved him, they came out, they hugged him, he cheated for them, he ruined the match. For some reason, no disqualification occurred. Uh because the ref never saw him attack. You can attack people that aren't in the match. Other people can't attack you. No, I, I understand. I just feel like at one point, oh, yeah, that's true. He never even made it into the ring. He was about to run into the ring, but then Killian Dane pulled him out like a cartoon. No, you're totally right. It never happened. Nikki was the one who was on the apron. But no, it was really fun. And, and it was a great reinforcement that Undisputed Era as a team, as a stable, is here to stay. Unless they're not, which God forbid that. Yeah, God forbid, because they, they really, Fish and O'Reilly cheat so wonderfully together, and then Adam Cole shows up, basically cheats once, and when Eric Young kicks out of it, acts like he's done everything he possibly could. He's yeah. like, doing the what the fuck face, and pounding on the ring. He's definitely like the leader of the group, because he's the one that does the most, uh, the, the most, uh, obnoxious reactions to like the least stuff yeah he does the least and expects the most out of it <laughs> but then at the end they win they win with this really cool uh leg sweep axe kick combo yeah that was pretty and they immediately run out of the ring because killian dane enters the ring and they're on the ramp and adam cole is picking up their hands and pointing at them like, Adam yeah. Cole is acting like a teammate. So I'm glad that they aren't immediately pissed off. Yeah, they're hugging him. It's great. It doesn't seem like next week they're going to be cutting a promo where they're like, hey, Adam Cole, we won the belts. Why didn't you win your belt? Like, they aren't doing that shit. Nah. They're three dudes that are down to cheat for each other whenever, wherever. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. I, I, I really hope that that stays because... We need, we need a shit heel faction. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And they are the shittiest of shit heels. They're so fucking great at being completely unlikable. Yeah. That I love them. <laughs> One of the best things about them is just you watch them wrestle and you're like, these guys are actually some of the most talented guys on the show. There's no reason they need to cheat. And then they cheat and it's like, Wow. Well, I wasn't going to talk about this that much later on, but I had this realization with the Tyler Bate Pete Dunn match, and they mm -hmm. really kind of do the same thing. They're so talented, and yet the shit that they choose to center and make a big deal about 
is the goofy shit. So, like, Tyler Bate does standing shooting star presses and really killer um, sentons and stuff, right? Yeah. But the spot that he always brings the most attention on himself is the airplane spin. He oh, can man. do so much amazing shit, and he makes the airplane spin such an integral part of what he does in the ring. And these guys are the same way. They yeah. could do just a really amazing technical match, but they also know how in-ring storytelling works so well. And by these guys, I also mean the Sanity guys. Like, Killian oh, yeah, Dane and Eric Young, all four of these guys are doing incredible technical stuff, but the stuff that sticks in your head is their goofy bullshit that just makes them lovable. And it's time to go for an airplane spin! Round and round we go! Eight, nine, ten revolutions, he keeps going! This is gonna make Bate dizzy at the same time. But he just hopes that Pete Dunne is dizzier. If he can drop him and pin him, he'll become the new WWE UK champion. Now he's going the other way. Trying to regain his own equilibrium. Yeah. No, I agree. I will draw our attention to one thing that Killian Dane does. He pile drives Bobby Fish onto Kyle O'Reilly's head. This dude is the genius of attacking a guy with another guy. Oh, this is no super collider. This is no super collider. This, yeah, this looks like it would kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. I think when he did it at War Games, he did Bobby Fish into Kyle O'Reilly's stomach, and we were like, oh, they probably allow that because there's kind of some extra padding if you hit somebody's stomach. There's no padding in somebody's no. head. Yeah, I don't know. And Nigel immediately is like, The referee's got to check on Kyle O'Reilly. That was dangerous. Landed high almost across his jaw. He may be out. He might be dead. Yeah. No, I remember that. He, it was a great match and a good kickoff. Yeah, it's a wonderful match. Um, but next up, we have a promo package for Roderick Strong. And guess what? They're kind of ineffectually trying to build him up as a threat to Lars Sullivan because no one ever thought he would make it this far and he loves his family. I'm where no one thought I would be. To create this life, I had to overcome a lot of things. I was not surprised by my family, and I would have expected some my manhood, but I didn't get any my manhood, and instead, I got kind of a, woo, I don't know if really it's that great to trot out his, like, legit, you know, traumatic childhood shit, but I guess he signed up on it, but I don't know. Beforehand, the traumatic stuff, they kind of skirted it, but this time they're like, Oh, yeah, um, his mom shot his dad, and... Yeah, I feel like it's very difficult to bridge that subject and be like, so, Roderick, we want to actually do this part as part of your promo. Are you cool with it? By the way, we're that company that will probably fire you if you say no. 
And also, not just fire you, hold you to a non-complete clause so you won't work for another eight months. Yeah, no, I mean, that's 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 why I get a little nervous about something like that. But the thing that really won me over, and that actually made me really like Roderick Strong, was the fun little backyard wrestling segments that they included from when he was like a kid. And I really loved that he had a cool jester gimmick. <laughs> I was like, this is great. This guy understands the business even when he's a kid. Like, he doesn't want to be the high-flying or, like, the big, burly, like, what? He's like, I'm going to be, like, a fucking personality. Everybody loves a clown, so why can't you? I'm going to be doink. <laughs> <laughs> Awoken Matt Hardy is going to throw him into the lake of rejuvenation, and he's going to come oh, out shit. as a jester. That sounds awesome. Put this guy on the main roster. But it, I, I don't know. This one worked for me. Normally, I don't really... It doesn't work for me normally. You know what worked even 20 times more for me? What? The single interstitial image afterwards where we see Lars Sullivan, who looks 10 times more freakish than normal because you can see how small his head is compared to his body. <laughs> and also... He's opened his eyes way too much yeah. so you can see his full iris and pupil. He looks like he, as a two-dimensional image, is trying to stare through the television at you. Yeah. And then Nigel, while this image is up, claims that Roderick Strong is, quote, the man with the biggest heart in NXT, <laughs> which seems like it might be a congenital defect. Yeah. I don't know if you want to go up against Lars Sullivan if your heart is freakishly large. Yeah, I feel like the heart attack that you will suffer upon looking at him will be exponentially worse. Well, this is a big one. I'm dying. You hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. What if it's like a baboon heart? Oh, like that John Travolta movie? <laughs> Christian Slater is the stranger. It's not the normal heart of a 26-year-old man. This is my heart. Untamed heart. <laughs> Maybe that's when he finally does his heel turn, when, like, the baboon heart starts starts taking control of his brain. Started as a study of human aggression. It led to experiments on primates, but something went wrong. When his veins turn green. That's it. That's how we'll know. And all of a sudden, the man with the biggest heart in NXT becomes a very dark nickname. The man with the most brutal heart. <laughs> what was interesting for me, though, is that during this promo, we didn't see any Photoshop men's fitness magazines with Roderick Strong's face on the cup. After hype is built for Roderick Strong versus Lars Sullivan later on tonight, we get another package for Shayna Baszler. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they have viewership stats that show the NXT audience didn't watch the Mae Young Classic? Maybe? I don't know. This was a weird... This is a weird package for her. It's like, doesn't showcase her personality or her fighting at all. It's just her kind of like tipping her head and looking up at the camera and actually looking kind of weird. Like she's maybe like got a, a scoliosis or something. She's got to team up with Roderick Strong, and they can be... <laughs> the biggest heart and the most curved spine. <laughs> I just don't get why they keep trying to build hype for someone we, I feel like, just saw do amazing stuff in the Mae Young Classic. Yeah. Plus, not only that, I mean, she's famous from UFC. 
she's like really, you know, a big deal. You think that you have one hype package and it's clips of her in the Mae Young Classic and in the UFC ripping people apart and that's all you need to do. I don't know. I guess you just got to get more spades in there. Spana Spadler. Spada. Don't forget, we have a great package coming up. This is fucking great. For some reason, Tyler Knight. Tucker Knight. Of Heavy Mesette. Tucker Knight. Thank you. You can, you can wrong buzzer me on that. <laughs> Tristan, this is the right time to use that. Tucker Knight decides that it's important that Heavy Machinery record everything that they do. So he's walking around with the phone recording him and Otis. And they're talking not about, like, you know, something, but about... I don't know about you, man, but I'm ready to get a big lift in. Oh, yeah, Maybe get some T-bones afterwards. A few car sodas, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, Tucker, yeah. there's a parking spot there. Oh, well, there would have been a parking spot. Look at this. Oh, what are you going to do? Let's go do something. Let's go, I guess... Look at a car or look at parking spots. They're out by the loading docks, obviously. Yeah. Oh, well, naturally. that That's a foregone conclusion. I don't even need to say it. Our audience knows. <laughs> For some reason, they get really pissed off. The Maserati or the, the what is it? The Butoni, whatever it is. That car over there. Corvette. Those, that's a Maserati. It's, that's a joke. They make the joke. They're mad that the car is in two spaces. So Otis Dozovich goes over to this car and goes to lift it up to move it so it's no longer in two space. And it doesn't budge an inch. Yeah, move it out of the way so someone else can park there. Yes, sir! Oh, oh what oh, do we have man, here? So it doesn't budge at all. He was supposed to be interrupted a little earlier, and Sabatelli and Boss maybe missed their cue. We knew it was going to be Sabatelli and Boss because this is their car. I mean, we know from previous promos. It's our baby. What do we call her? Our baby? That's our baby. Yeah, that's our baby. That's our baby. Oh, I see you're admiring our car. But, you know, don't take pictures of our car. Maybe one day if you work really hard, this is the good thing. Maybe someday you can get something like this. Maybe not as good. I don't even think we can. Half as good. Not the upgraded model. You might be able to afford a car that's half as good as this car. There's no reason that heavy machinery should get mad about this. No, they don't get they don't get mad about that. What they get mad about is Moss in an attempt at being friendly points at Dozovich and goes, "Hey, um, oh yeah, pork and weights, right, boys? Pork and weights, <laughs> steaks and weights. Oh, that's what it is." <laughs> and that starts. That's the shot heard around the world <laughs> because then they start doing the "I'm not your buddy, pal. I'm not your pal, friend." Oh, is that what it is, pal? Uh, yeah, that is what it is, guy. Guy? Guy. Well, now I know, friend. Well, I'm glad that both of you know, chiefs. Chiefs. He's not your guy, friend. I'm not your friend, buddy. We're not your buddies, guy. I'm not your guy, friend. And they say chief. Yeah. So I'm one over instantly. Tucker calls Moss Chief, and then Moss reacts to it like, Chief? That's great. Oh, man. Moss is really good, by the way, with that beard. I, I had no faith in the beard. I gotta say, I was totally wrong. That beard is great. Dozovich interrupts them, and 
says in his most Macho Man Randy Savage voice. Guys, guys, why are we jaw jacking here? Let's just get it on right here. Right now, Tekken! Why are we jaw jacking when we could get it on right here, right now? And then slaps his biceps a couple of times. Yeah, you gotta get in your grandstanding and your hot dogging, don't you? Yeah! At this point, Sabatelli and Moss realize that this entire thing is all about fighting and wrestling and they were like what no we were talking about cars we don't want to do that yeah no and they get in the car and then they leave <laughs> it's awesome i i'm really excited for this i'm i'm super excited it's going to be the exact same storyline as them versus street profits right oh it absolutely is but this this brings the first things first this brings us one step closer to heavy machinery versus street profits because this is like a triangle right and 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 eventually all the corners are going to have to fight um so that's going to be great it also brings us one more piece of evidence that sabatelli and moss are definitely an item right i think they might be at first i thought that they were actually as you said i thought when you said it, it was so attractive to me that I had to believe that they were some kind of hive mind. But now I'm starting to think, no, no, maybe they are just an item. I think that NXT is secretly very LGBTQ plus friendly. They're like oh, I hope so. sneaking shit in left and right where it's like Sabatelli going. They're still calling it our car, but then he turns to Moss and he goes, in fact, what did we name our car? And Moss goes, this is our baby. This is our baby. Oh, it's, it's their substitute for children. <laughs> exactly. That and the four cats they have. Well, maybe. I almost imagine that Moss likes pug dogs. <laughs> yeah, he makes, has like, sweaters for them. a very expensive Victorian pet. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it just doesn't look like it costs as much as it does, but it does. <laughs> you know, and if heavy machinery works really hard, they can afford a dog that's half as good as this. <laughs> How much is that dog in the window? The one with the waggly tail. How much is that dog in the window? Six pigs. Yeah, six pigs. I just fucking loved this. Front yeah. to back. I'm excited for the Riddick Moss Otis Dozovich dance off as well. That you know is going to have to come out of this. Oh God, yeah. This is going to be great. Just have them spend an entire episode doing the worm against each other. Oh yeah. Because you know Moss is going to steal the gimmick, and then it's just going to go great. I never thought I was going to be this hype for Sabatelli and Moss where they were just fighting Gargano. This is great. Because when they were just fighting Gargano, they were characterless douchebags. And now they have so much character. They've stumbled on this one angle where everything belongs to both of them. That it's just so amazing. Do you think that the reason they're able to afford such nice things is because they're pooling their resources? Oh my god, yes. And they so don't thrifty. realize it. I can't wait. For the segment where they go to the cafeteria and they bump into Sabatelli and Moss and they're both eating out of the same plate. <laughs> they're, they're passing the fork back and forth. Oh, it's my turn with our fork. <laughs> it's like we make 
double the amount of income that a single wrestler should make, and they never have the realization it's because there are two of them. <laughs> that would be so cool. Oh, man. I'm excited for this by a lot. And this was like a three-second-long promo, so I don't know. We're spending a lot of time on it, but I really loved it. Now we get a recap of the Riot DeVille pseudo-feud. And we have an interview with Sonya DeVille at the Performance Center. She's saying she's coming back next week to take on Ember Moon because Ember never pinned her. She pinned Ruby Riot to ta 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 off of her work with the ankle lock, so fuck Ember. This would have been a great thing to say, I don't know, three or four weeks ago before she got called up. If they had had one of these promos before their last match, I would have been a lot more invested in it if she had been actually saying to the camera, hey, she keeps getting rope breaks and that's for wimps. Yeah. She's actually cutting really compelling yeah, promos. Yeah, she's fine. Yeah. She's good on the mic. And if the outcome wasn't so certain, I would be super excited to see this match. Yeah, but it's it's super certain because they even they even mention Absolution. The reporters are asking her about Absolution, which is like, well, that's a surefire way to clue everybody in that she's definitely not winning this belt. Yeah. Because she's not even on the damn show. I'm excited to see the match, but she's definitely not winning. No, of course not. But this brings up an interesting thought to me, and um, I don't know if it's something you thought as well, but it's like, is there some sort of new thing going on right now for NXT where they're getting people called up, but they're still on NXT, like they're still in developmental as they're working the main roster? You know, I think that in an interview, Triple H actually said that they're going to start treating NXT and 205 like that, that... People from the main roster, if their gimmick isn't getting over as well, will be sent back down to NXT and vice versa. It'll be a little bit more of a easy move between the two. Yeah. Um, the only problem that I have with that in terms of this is she's not moving back and forth. She's on both at the same time. Yeah. Whereas, like, somebody like Ty Dillinger or Dolph Ziggler, who, like, we kind of forget about, I wouldn't mind if they showed up for a couple of months at NXT and, you know, we remembered who the fuck Ty Dillinger was. Yeah. I mean, Dolph Ziggler could do a really good, you know, he could do a really good feud with, I don't know, like, I was going to say Heavy Machinery, but they're, they're two guys. <laughs> But he could. I mean, there's people who have explosive personalities that a person like Dolph Ziggler or, you know, even even if you went up higher, like after this Sammy and Kevin thing, like Sammy Zayn could go back down. He could have like a lot of fun with people on NXT. Especially going down as a like, I was on the main roster. That's like a cool vibe to bring into NXT. The couple of times that they've sent people down, that's the vibe that it's brought and it's really fun. Hmm. So I like yeah. the idea of having more movement between the two, but... Yeah, this is not exactly that. This isn't movement. This is being in two places at the same time, and that makes the storytelling muddy. Yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. At least with DeVille, it's different than Riot, where she has the same character in both um, programs. Afterwards, we get a Lars Sullivan 
package. Lars Sullivan. Let's take a look at the man that many have called unstoppable. 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 What kind of catchphrase is that? It's the package that we've already seen before with him smiling like a goofus behind a chain link fence. Yeah. Alec, I know that you thought Morrow said that he's drunk on protein. No, he's drunk on cruelty. It's actually drunk on cruelty. But it, it's so much clearer this time. I like drunk on protein more, but... I'm sure he drinks a lot of protein. Oh, I'm sure. And also, I really enjoyed call, him being called the Leviathan Logophile. That was really fun. And that captures him perfectly. But it what really is... does. I mean, oh, I don't yeah. think a non-logophile would ever compare his competition with a fitness magazine cover photo. That brings us to match number two. Lars Sullivan versus Roderick Strong to qualify for men's championship contendership in the Fatal 4-Way. Guess what? Lars Sullivan wins. No shit. But before that, depending on what minute of this match you're watching, we either have a much more or much less dominant match than you were probably expecting. Yeah. This is the first time that Lars Sullivan gets knocked off his feet. Roderick Strong delivers a top rope superplex and an Olympic slam for a one and two count respectively. But Lars Sullivan puts Roddy away with a pop-up power slam into the freak accident. It Oof. was very good. That pop-up power slam was insane. Roderick Strong got like 10 feet of air. Yeah. Pop-up power slam by Sullivan driving the air of Roderick Strong. Free accident! Lars Sullivan with the cover! Lars Sullivan advances to the fatal four-way! He throws him in the air like a pizza maker. <laughs> <laughs> I know you like to call the F5 Brock Lesnar's pizza spin, but this is really a right. above-his-head spin. Yes. No, this is... This is... This puts it to shame. There isn't a lot mm. to dive deep on, but I just want to point out, it's important to remember that Roderick Strong has a very big heart and comes from a rough background and loves his family. Roderick Strong has maybe the biggest heart in NXT. Roderick Strong is one of the toughest superstars on the roster. Very tough upbringing, wrong side of the tracks. Right. Are we on the same page? I think so. Don't forget also that he could be on the cover of a men's fitness magazine. And also, he has manhood. Yeah. Two very important things that I forgot. I'm sorry. That's true. I think the first thing to talk about is Lars Sullivan's entrance, which again, <gasps> has amazing production. He's getting over. It starts out, every <gasps> single light in the performance center goes out. I thought that the video had cut out on my stream for a second because it's just pitch black. And mm -hmm. then, out of nowhere, a single red spotlight illuminates just his face and upper torso. And he oh, looks man. like fucking Hellboy. It's so yeah. good. He looks like a monster. Then, as the commentary team is jawjacking... Don't just get it on right here. Right now, chicken! He gets into the middle of the ring, and there's this beautiful shot... The camera is behind him, and he's standing between the camera and a single white spotlight. And yeah. it perfectly captures the outline of light around his silhouette. 
it it's incredible. This is really great. It looks so amazing. And the instant the camera cuts to that, the commentary table starts talking about <laughs> and he cast a incredibly large shadow, a sinister silhouette awaits Roderick Strong. It's so perfect. It, it really works. And th- he's getting over with me. And I don't like that almost in a way because I want to boo him. But like he's it's so good. They're really using him well as a giant monster. This is like how you book a giant monster. This is great. They transitioned him over from having the crossface style rest hold to the bear hug rest hold. And I loved this. It was awesome, especially because Roddy's so small. To have him grabbing him and lifting him up and just like doing this obnoxious looking bear hug. But this one was actually, I mean like the thing about a bear hug is it looks stupid. But at the same time, you can imagine, especially when there's such a size disparity, you can actually imagine damage being done with a bear hug versus like the crossface, which just looks so stupid and ineffective. I really enjoyed watching it, and it kind of got me, hmm, you know, it got me thinking a little bit. Oh, this Lars Sullivan, maybe he's a major, uh, maybe he's a major player without having to get me to boo him. Maybe that's <laughs> something that can happen. Um, and I mean that bear that bear hug really did a lot of work for him. I also really liked how especially Nigel chose to put over the bear hug because yeah. it's kind of like the crossface from last week that Adam Cole did to Alistair Black. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to do anything, but if nobody had commented on it, you'd be like, "Okay, it's a bear hug." Nigel is going into the details of like Strong doing the best thing he can, and that's keeping those legs on the thighs of Sullivan to keep Sullivan's arms as low down his back as possible. The higher those arms go up, the more effective a bear hug is. Oh, he's got the head underneath as well. He's walking you through all of this pedantic bullshit. Yeah, and I think it was either Nigel... Was it Nigel or Moro who was talking about Bruno San Martino? Because that's a great way to get a bear hug. Yeah. Shades of WWE Hall of Famer Bruno San Martino. With this vicious bear hug squeezing the life out of Strong. As this match started, Moro says that Lars Sullivan just doesn't get in the holiday spirit. And my first response to that was, oh, maybe he's just the Grinch. Maybe, like, he's pissed off all the time because nobody's taught him that friendship and love is all you need. Well, it's a good thing that he's finding the guy with the biggest heart, right? (laughs) he isn't handsome like roderick strong (laughs) and as he pointed out last week unlike roderick strong he doesn't have a family that's true and then i thought what if this match just ends with roderick strong adopting lars sullivan and he comes back as a baby face oh man a legitimate baby face because he's like in a pram or something. <laughs> He's his little baby. They have baby. to custom build it. it they, just, they just butcher Sabatelli and Moss's car and he's in that. I kind of like him coming out it, with his weird high-pitched voice and he's like, I'm sorry, everyone. I didn't know how hurtful I was being. You know, this, this reminds me a lot of a poem I read the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is how you do, like, a storytelling match where you know 
kind of what's going to happen. And, and the audience knows what's going to happen, too. You could still make it interesting because the story of the match is, can Roddy lift him? Yeah. Because right in the beginning, the very first thing Roddy tries to do, he gets the offense in, and it's working really well. Then he goes to lift him, and he can't even make him budge. And then since he's doing it in the beginning, then I'm like, oh. So he's not going to win, but his consolation prize is he's going to be able to lift him. Yeah, and he does get the Olympic slam off, and it looks fucking great. Yeah. The Olympic slam is insane. Oh, my God! Oh, an Olympic slam! This is incredible! Goes for the cover! Hooks the leg! Sullivan kicks out! Wow! Roddy versus the world indeed! Seeing Lars Sullivan take an Olympic slam is fucking magical. I know. I was nervous. I was watching. I went back. I watched it again. You can't really see him, like, jump off too much. I don't think that he, like, power jumps to get up there. He's actually pretty good at getting thrown for a guy who will basically almost never get thrown in his entire career. I really like a lot of the Roderick Strong spots in this match. I think that there's a reason why he's kind of upper mid card, and it's because he has such a good sense for those callback beats in a match. He did it with Almas, he did it with Ono, he did it with Gargano. Every time, he does such a good job of telling this story of attempting something, being denied, and then working up to attempting it again and succeeding. Um, We have that Olympic slam. We also have (laughs) Lars Sullivan climbing up for his stupid diving headbutt spot. And Roderick Strong intercepts him and gets the suplex off of the top rope. Lars immediately kicks out. And he does that kick out where he throws the person like four feet away. Yeah, it's like like maybe it was a one count. (laughs) I think that that was the two count. (laughs) Lars kicks out, throws him halfway across the ring. And Roderick Strong sits up and has that scooby-doo i've just seen a ghost face he's like whoa well, what the fuck is going on that's a great expression i he did a great job selling that just being completely in awe does does lars sullivan have a sunset in a field tattoo on his shoulder oh shit i've never noticed that or like a sunset over a mountaintop or something like it looks crazy it's like a patch of green, and you look at it, and then you're like, oh, it's like a sunset or something. It's weird. And it isn't a weird, discolored bruise from him finally taking a bump? No, it's definitely a tattoo. There's lots of colors on it. Oh, jeez, I, I yeah. see it, yeah. Isn't that interesting? I guess it's actually kind of fitting, because he's just so weird. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have Braun Strowman's Superman tattoo. He doesn't have... Alistair Black's black metal tattoos. He has a beautiful pastoral scene tattooed on his shoulder. But I feel like, I imagine like going to his house would be really weird, like the character Lars Sullivan's house. Because he might be the guy who'd have like a, a print, like, like a Robert Longo print or something on his wall. And then he'd also have like a velvet clown painting on the other wall. Like, he's, you can't place him. He has a reproduction of a Hudson Valley School painting. Mmm, definitely. A mountain with an eagle perched on a tree. And he'd point at it when you walk past. It's over his couch, and he'd point at it and be like, 
I know it's not the best reproduction, but I really like to support local artists. <laughs> oh, very weird guy. We come back from commercial, and guess what? It's more street talk, baby. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. We should do that. <laughs> Montez Ford singles out the one black guy with a giant fro in the crowd and says, Let's have a moment of silence for everyone that is not as fine as them street prophets. And there is absolutely not a moment of silence. Everybody goes crazy. Yeah! And Dawkins is good because he uh, delivers most of the lines this time. He's getting a lot of practice on the mic. He sounds okay. He says fam at least once too many times because he says it a few times. I still like that he's wearing 16 headbands. That's great. It's good. At the end, Angelo Dawkins asks Montez Ford, what did we do here? And Montez Ford replies, oh, my, wait, what did we do? I don't know. What did we do? Uh, we did street talk, brother. Were, were you not paying attention? You were the guy talking on camera. What the fuck, man? I also like when they give the their uh, audience participant the cup, and they're like, you can fill it with whatever you want. I fill it with happiness. <laughs> <laughs> fill it with what you want to fill it with. And me, it's happiness. 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 This was a very fun episode. Yeah. And we haven't even gotten to the final match of the night, which is UK champion Pete Dunne versus Tyler Bate for the UK championship. So you, UK for Pete Dunne, it stands for like universe king, right? He's in a uh, one man rap crew from the late 90s called Ultimate Killers. Ooh, that's good. Ultimate killer yeah. champion, Pete Dunne. Yeah. No, it's just, I just think it's so weird to limit him to the UK when he's clearly one of the best wrestlers at all. I love him. They're so good together, too. I'm worried that after four more of these, I might start getting sick of it, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> I don't know if I will, though. That's the thing, because I was thinking... Like, it's the thing where during the promo package, you're like, are you fucking kidding me again? And then you watch the match, you're like, I could watch three more of these. They only have like five people signed from the UK championship. And every single time you're like, man, they really need to deepen that roster. And then you realize, no, because literally as long as you have either Pete Dunne or Tyler Bate in a match, you're going to like it. Yeah, no, they're both fucking phenomenal. This is a perfectly paced 22-minute match that showcases the best of both of these two wrestlers. You absolutely must watch this match. At the very least, to see Pete Dunne use 18 of the 22 minutes slowly getting over his finger and wrist manipulation. After multiple but somehow not gratuitous kickouts from finishers, Pete Dunne finally hits his third bitter end and retains the championship. Tell me what you thought about this match, Alec. You hated it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I hated it so much. This might actually be one of my matches. This might actually be my match of the year. <laughs> this, as far as, as far as NXT goes, I've never seen an NXT match that was this good. It is so fucking killer. There is 
so much to talk about this match that we aren't going to talk about spots. There are really just too many to count. But let's just rapid fire through them. No commentary, just what happens. For instance, Pete Dunne delivers an exploder suplex from the second rope, pulling Tyler over the ropes from the apron. Dunn has a bait in a head scissors in like kind of a front bridge position. He goes to grab Bait's legs to really fucking put the hurt on, and Bait keeps dancing and putting his legs out of the way, and it's just amazing. He gets Dunn's attention so focused on his legs that he's just able to stand up out of the head scissors <laughs> and kind of give him the British wave. It was really fun. Pete Dunn has Tyler Bate in the triangle armbar, and Tyler Bate deadlifts him probably about three times into a powerbomb. Mm-hmm. That was amazing because I love the idea that you can sell a simple move like a fucking powerbomb as one of the most hype spots of the whole match because you could see how difficult it was for him to pick him up by, oh, he's in a triangle, oh, he's still picking him up. It was insane. Not once, but twice, he pulls the cheap shot uh, bop and bang routine where he lifts the one hand and the second hand goes for the goes for the punch. And it was great because of the second one, Pete Dunn, they were on the apron, and Pete Dunn sees him lift up the bop, and then Pete Dunn, for some reason, lifts up his hand too. Pete Dunn was trying to do that to Tyler Bate. Oh, no kidding. Is that what it was? And that's why Tyler Bate punched him in the mouth, because he was like, don't do my shit to me, you fucking idiot. Oh, that's great. That's even better than I saw. That's great. In the middle of an incredible technical match, spent a good minute and a half to two minutes just spinning one direction and then spinning the other direction. And then he goes down. It looks like he's he can't keep Pete Dunn on his shoulders. And then he squats back out and does it a third time. Why not? He doesn't even go for the Samoan drop or a Death Valley drive or something you could do from that position. He's like, no. Airplane spin to win, baby. Airplane spin to win. Pete Dunn's fucking faces every time a kickout happens, either him or Bait, were on point. Pete Dunn can sell being wounded and still kick out without making it look too strong. He looks fantastic. And then when Tyler Bate kicks out of his shit, he looks furious. When somebody kicks out of a pin, he almost always looks like he's about to cry. He has added to that. He looks like he's about to cry for a second, and then he'll look over at Tyler Bate and just get pissed off at Tyler Bate for kicking out. It, it's that level of pissed off where you you hear like your 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 relatives complaining about something that you know it's their fault that they're in that situation, and you're just looking at them and you're like, "I am disgusted with you." <laughs> <laughs> he's so angry. He doesn't know why Tyler Bate doesn't just quit. But he's also a weenie that just wants Tyler Bate to quit. He never once has an inkling on his face that, like, this is a really tough match. Iron sharpens iron. We're both going to be better after this. He's like, no, fuck you, asshole. Fuck you, asshole. Fuck you, asshole. Why are you making me work so hard? <laughs> I'm better than you. There was also a fun facial spot bait comes off the post and i can't remember if dunn does like a step up in security to him or something oh he like knees him in the face all i remember from that is dunn comes after him and he lunges at him and he's smiling <laughs> right before he gets smashed right in the face <laughs>
And it was great. I mean, bait, bait comes after him and he's smiling right before, right before he gets smashed in the face. You could, you give me a wrong buzzer on that one too. I know that Pete Dunn is one of the best wrestlers alive. He is yeah. amazing. I don't yes. know if we're in the right for cheering on Pete Dunn. I refuse hmm. to not cheer on Pete Dunn because I like him so much, but right. I noticed when Tyler is entering, everybody's doing the Queen's wave, but as Tyler is entering the ring, NXT guy is as beat red as I've ever seen him with his two fists on his chin screaming at Tyler Bate. Oh my god. NXT guy. Oh my god. I never thought to look at him because I just thought it was so clear. It's not. And then... Oh my god. Pete Dunn is the seduction of the innocent. And then Pete Dunn comes out and there are huge bruiserweight chants. But when it cuts to the crowd, almost every single person chanting for the bruiserweight seems to be a young, pimply-faced white kid. I thought I saw some Latino guys. And I was like, oh no, I think chanting for Pete Dunne might be a very edgelord thing to do. No. I can't stop myself from doing it because he's so amazing, but... I thought it was just a very... Oh, well, maybe because I was about to say it's a very wrestling fan thing to do. And then I realized who wrestling fans are. Yeah. Shit. The, those are two kind of interchangeable Yeah, there's phrases. definitely a Venn diagram there. However, in terms of crowd reaction, there was one thing that I super liked early on in the match. Competing Tyler Bate bruiserweight chance. But at the very beginning of the match, neither side is leaving any room for the other side to respond. Later on in the match, you get Tyler Bate bruiserweight. At the beginning of the match, they're both speaking over each other. And I was like, this is how it should fucking be, man. There's a lot of passion. If, if you don't give a shit enough about a wrestler to try to yell over the people who support their competitors, I don't think you actually like that wrestler. It might be that way. <laughs> when we were at TakeOver, I felt kind of bad for cheering over that little kid who was super into Johnny Gargano, who was sitting next to us, who wasn't a little kid, but he was like a young teenager. But I was like, fuck you, man. Fuck you, Almas is way better. Fuck you. Almas all the way. Yeah, the same thing was happening. Everybody was screaming Asuka over anybody that was chanting for Ember Moon. And I was one of them. I don't even think you need to watch to know. I mean, like, you could just watch the show and you could be like, oh, yeah, everybody loved Asuka in that match. I felt bad for Emily, who was, like, super into Ember Moon. So she was like, I'm going to cheer Ember Moon. And I was like, you're going to lose. I love Emily. But shut the fuck up. She's the best. But I mean, like, fuck, Asuka's there. Pete Dunn and Tyler Bate both have new looks. Yeah. Tyler Bate comes out. He's got kind of old school looking blue and white trunks and a new haircut that makes him look like Tintin. Some guys just don't know when to give up. He got a little too ruffled up with the old haircut. Now, because he's teaming with Trent Seven, he also has a scruffy face. So oh, yeah. he's like completely, obviously not all American, but clean cut yeah. good boy, except for the beard, which is just enough to make you think, you know, when he starts 
kicking Pete Dunne in the back of the head like Pete Dunne had done to him earlier in the match. It isn't completely out of the ordinary. He's a babyface, but I could definitely see this guy just stomping on the back of some cat's head. Yeah, I could see that too. He's got the towel gimmick as well. He doesn't wear it like a neck brace, but it's pretty fun anyway. He's got the towel gimmick. The ring announcer announces Tyler Bate, and the way he chooses to antagonize Pete Dunne is walking up into his face and doing the Queen's wave at him, which is like the least intimidating thing in the world, but because he's doing it, it's very intimidating. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pete Dunne, meanwhile, has a new singlet. It's all black instead of the red one, and it's got that weird three-eyed bear. And I realized why that's his logo. I think that that's the tattoo he got on his kneecap. Yeah, he does have a tattoo on his knee, which I know is very painful. Very painful. I can't figure out, though. Oh, so that's what the tattoo is. I just thought it might be, you know, a sunset over a field or something. (laughs) It calms him down. Yeah. So let's talk about the actual match now. Pete Dunne finally gets the digit manipulation over. He does. And he gets it over with gusto. This match starts off and he's bending Tyler Bates' fingers and nobody really cares. And by about 15 minutes in, he has done the most brutal stomp onto Tyler Bates' arm. And Tyler Bates has to crawl over to the ropes and is popping his fingers back into place and Pete Dunne actually gets heat. Just wants to break the fingers of Tyler Bay. No! No! no, no, no. no! Oh! oh my God! Oh my God! Oh, Dear oh, Lord! Did, did, back in place? I think he dislocated oh his finger. Oh my God, I think you, you're right. Real legitimate heat. The crowd is like, boo, oh no, I don't like this. I liked it when you're the bruiser weight and you don't actually do bad shit. You're just a little weenie millhouse that has too many muscles. But you're actually doing bad shit now, and that's not oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Well, because it looks so nasty. And you know he had to go over it with Seven because he not does seven, the bend Tyler back. To, oh, right. Oh, I'm going to get can, so can, many buzz. buzzes. Yeah, you can do it. I mean, like, I'm going to buzz I'm, the I'm shit out of you. <laughs> I've opened myself up to this. I understand what this is. I had a vodka tonic before we started, so <laughs> he must have cleared this with bait because it looks so nasty. And it also looks like it's pretty easy to fuck up. He does the bend back on the fingers and puts him in that position with his elbow against up. the mat bent backwards. And then he stomps his arm and it looks so nasty. And I know that he probably just rolled his arm or something. So it didn't even do anything. If you fuck that up, like that would really hurt a lot. It looks really nasty. I'm comparing it to some of the finger manipulation stuff that I know, which is, you know, Minoru Suzuki makes it look bad. Marty Skrull, who loves this shit, it's so goofy and funny with him. And when I saw this, I was like, oh yeah, it's like Marty Skrull shit. And then I saw that part. Holy fuck, that really looks bad. Also, Tyler Bate sells the shit out of it. Whereas with Marty Skrull and Minoru Suzuki... A lot of the times, they save the really brutal-looking stuff for the finish of a match. They're gonna they're gonna take out your fingers so you can't fight anymore. Tyler Bate looks completely fucked up, crawls back to the ropes, 
pops his fingers back into place, is like, okay, maybe I can keep fighting, and then he does it to his other hand. And again! Oh. He's gonna pop it out again! Done! Obsessed! Oh. With the fingers of Tyler Bates! as aggressive as they come and relentless but i feel like you know, he's bumped up to the next level here and you know tyler was trying to get it over too because he would later he would be staring at his hands and he'd be flexing his hands instead of continuing the offense and it was just showing the audience like by the way remember that right yeah no both deal. of these guys really remembered the major injuries they took and what you know grab their neck or grab their hands or grab their upper arm every once in a while and you'd be like oh yeah they've actually been fighting for almost 20 minutes now and it's not over yeah no it was really fantastic say what you will about british people and finger smashing and wrestling this really took it to another level i was actually a little surprised that we didn't hear you sick fuck chance it's a family show is there a stereotype that british people love mangling each other's fingers yeah i suppose so because pete dunn does it marty Skrull does it and there's only two british people in the world so <laughs> did you see how much great mat wrestling there was right in the beginning and how it actually because of the way that they would sell it and their faces and the seriousness of it that it really looked like that was a serious time and that that would have a big dramatic impact on the rest of the match this match actually has three acts. Yeah. Because it starts out with really methodical, impressive chain wrestling and catch wrestling. And Pete Dunne slowly starts to get more brutal. He'll have Tyler Bate in a hold and kick him in the side of the head or punch him in the stomach. So then Tyler Bate starts getting more brutal. And for a while, it's just them hitting each other with brutal strikes. And by the time they realize that isn't going to succeed, they start moving on to the power moves. And after a couple of power moves, you see the first person's finisher. And neither one of them has been able to kick out of the other person's finisher. But also, they've been wrestling for a year. So all of a sudden, they take a finisher... It gets to the two count, you think it's over, and they kick out. And it is so amazing. It's such a perfectly built match, not just in the match, but also relating to past matches. There's so much going on, and that's why a 22-minute match doesn't feel like it takes any time at all. No, I think I, I agree with you a lot. And I think also... Part of it is also just because if you're a person who's interested in watching a match that tells a story or interested in watching a match that, like, has a lot of seriousness behind every aspect to it, then this is really a match for you. Um, I thought it was very telling that Izzy, in the front row, did not look like she was super invested in the match. <laughs> and I was These like... These fucking millennials. Yeah. No, no, no. I well, I, I got a little short bit of that attention in me going. span. They're always on their devices. Their devices. Oh, I gotta check Twitter or whatever. Snapchat is that a thing? Easy. Well, we know. We know a little <laughs> bit. If you've been watching NXT, you kind of know what Izzy likes. Yeah. Right. 
So it's like she likes the high fly and high action, like shoot around. Like she loves that shit. If she's not super into this, but it's still a great fucking match. It's like it's like it just shows you, hey, look, there there was an aspect. There's an aspect of the old school that's really good that maybe some people are missing out on. That's all I'm saying. I liked uh, Moro at the end yelling, "We have witnessed the future of this business," which. I think is very true, but also, like you just mentioned, this is like an old school style match. Yes. So like this is like an and this is like an AWA kind of match or something. It's very yeah. slow and methodically placed, and shit happens that's very well rehearsed and understood. Like, I would love to see Pete Dunne versus Bobby Roode. Oh yeah, that would be good. That would be an awesome match. Just to see how Pete Dunne sells the most cut-and-paste DDT ever delivered. I love Bobby Roode's glorious DDT, but it looks like a DDT from the 70s. Yeah, well, that's part of the charm, I think. Yeah. I really liked Tyler almost forgetting that Pete Dunne would probably take a disqualification to retain the belt. Yeah. They're both outside oh. and the ref starts counting. Tyler Tyler Bate jumps back into the ring at like four. Pete Dunn hasn't gotten up. But you can hear people in the audience. One guy in the audience yells out, Just stay down, Pete. Yeah. So wow. he's getting strategy from the fans. He kind they of half so sits much up. They don't care if he loses. But then makes eye contact with Tyler Bate and never fully stands up. And then it cuts to this shot. Again, we keep talking about amazing production this episode. Cuts to this shot very tight in on Tyler Bate's face. And Tyler Bate goes from like, yeah, this is great, to worried. And then he looks at the ref like, oh shit, the ref is still counting. And just barely, at nine, hits a... Tope con Hilo over the top rope and the ref restarts the count. But it was this great moment where Tyler Bate was like, the honor of the match will drive Pete Dunn back into the ring. And Pete Dunn sits up and is like, oh no, I can just stay out on the ramp and retain my belt. I don't really give a shit about winning this. He's just like, you know what? We've spent 20 minutes almost on this and it's been a very tough match. I'd like to keep my belt. My parking is almost up, so <laughs> I gotta go. This is a takeover match. This is an epic match. Right? This is this amazing. Is, this is a this is a takeover quality I finished, match. I finished watching it, and the first thing I thought was, that's one of the best matches I've ever seen on NXT. And the second thing that I thought was, that's kind of one of the best matches I've seen all year. Like, this, this was just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, that's true. Oh, shit. You know what? I just realized also, 2017 is going to be over before Omega Jericho. So this is not even going to be in the running with that. There are going to be Omega Okada matches, though. Yeah. So The only problem in my mind with the Omega Okada matches is they were an hour long. Well, yeah, there is They that. were really, really fucking good, and they deserve all the hype they get, but like... This told almost as good of a story in half the time, and... Yeah, that's true. I really like that, because I have shit to do. I, I'm 
I'm addicted to watching wrestling, but I have shit to do. So <laughs> anytime you can give me something that's a really killer 20 minutes, I'm going to be like, oh, great. This was really good, though. Like, this was to the level where I was, and you know me and watching matches over again. I kind of don't really do it. I would watch this again. I could watch this again a few times. I think that I might I watch really this could. again, too. This was really fun. I'm sure I missed a bunch of shit. I, I'll, I'll watch it again. Pete Dunne wins and is still the champion. Into the mouth, his belt goes. And he stands over Tyler Bate with the belt in his mouth. But then he kind of shrugs like, sorry, buddy, I had to fucking kill you. Yeah, I loved his own old man hobble over there, too. He was like selling it the whole time. Tyler Bate looks like he's dead. And yeah, Pete Dunn looks like he's at death's door. <laughs> he's like, sorry, I had to rub it in a little bit more. I don't know what you expect from me. Yeah. I, I'm still waiting for the one match that makes it, him so exhausted that the belt falls out of his mouth. But I don't know. That might be, you know what? That might be like 25, 30 years from now when he's about to retire. That could be his Undertaker folding up the, the jacket moment. The TakeOver match is either before the Royal Rumble or before WrestleMania. That TakeOver, you have them have one more match again. Tyler Bate, as the babyface, finally fucking ekes it out like that is for two guys that seem built for classic wrestling storytelling that is classic wrestling storytelling yeah and dunn is also going through like some kind of like redemption kind of arc almost in a way because he's not cheating at all now yeah like he didn't he's do any kind of weird fuck, shit but it's not cheating. like he did the last time yeah now he's just a heel because he's me yeah and that's pretty he cool. He stomps on your you fingers, he stomps him. on your head, he stomps, he stomps, he stomps, but he doesn't yeah. actually break the rules. Next week, we have Ember Moon versus Sonya Deville, which might be fun. We also have the men's number one contender, Fatal 4-Way. Is Johnny Gargano there to win everything or to take the pin? Uh, honestly, I think it all depends on Ciampa. If we take Ciampa out of the equation, I would say Johnny Gargano is there to win the whole thing. It comes down to Ciampa, but it also comes down to what the fuck do they think they're doing with Aleister Black? That's true. He's kind of a non-entity in my mind, so you're right. He's a non-entity, but they clearly want to continue pushing him to the moon because he went over Adam Cole either... Johnny Gargano is going to win the Fatal 4-Way and go on to meet Almas and Ciampa's going to come back and that's why he's not champion. Or he's in this Fatal 4-Way to take the pin from Aleister Black because somebody in creative is like, he's undefeated. He's undefeated, man. I could. It really does all depend on Black because I think that I and the entire rest of the world are rightly assuming that Lars Sullivan and Killian Damer are going to eliminate each other or keep each other out of the running by just being big guys next to they each basically other. cancel each other out and i'm excited for that i mean dane is also undefeated and <laughs> oh no right i said i made the same mistake before because i keep forgetting about drew more buzzer yeah sullivan is undefeated i think sullivan's gonna stay undefeated though for a long time yeah see but i'm worried because i feel like somebody thinks 
Alistair Black's losing match has to be big. But I also don't think that they have any feuds planned for him. And they also know that he's super popular. So that means they keep putting him on TV in matches that he can't lose because he can't lose a stupid match. If he doesn't eat the pin, he doesn't get the defeat on his record. Unless, for some reason, Johnny Gargano is able to pin Lars Sullivan. Yeah. Or Killian Dane. I think that I think that Gargano is almost, now that I think about it, perfectly made to be the person who takes Lars Sullivan's undefeated streak because the whole thing has been maybe if somebody is as big as Lars Sullivan, they'll win, and it's going to be, no, 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 no. <laughs> it takes this small guy who's finally found it inside of himself to overcome everything, to overcome Lars Sullivan, and that just pisses off Lars Sullivan because he's like, he's tiny. Look at him. He should be the lead singer of band or something. <laughs> Well, I'm not musically inclined. He thinks he's going to come in here and challenge me. He's tiny. He's fat. <laughs> That's, of course, Scott Steiner again. Well, you got to remember that unlike Steiner, you know, Sullivan is not a mathematician. <laughs> Sullivan is a logophile. Sullivan doesn't know how to compute the odds. <laughs> No, he'll probably just make a bunch of biblical allusions or something that just go to show, like, that he's the superior competitor. David and Goliath is, is, is an apocryphal tale. <laughs> <laughs> you can expect another episode next week. This will be coming out on Christmas. On the first day of Rusev, my partner gave to me a tag team victory. Oh, hail Satan! Classy. Now you know I can't say that. You know I'm in a Catholic. I'm in a Catholic position. <laughs> Alec is a very good boy. So what I can tell you though is, God bless Pete Dunn. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. Please subscribe. Mm -hmm. Please like us. We also have an email address that you can contact us. It's whatsnxtpod at gmail.com. Still haven't gotten an email from anybody except for my girlfriend, which I don't think counts. Oh, I should send you an email. That's kind of a pity. Pity email. Yeah. First person to email me at whatsnxtpod at gmail.com that is not my girlfriend or somebody that I know can become a meme on our podcast. Nice. We'll mention you. We might disparagingly mention you, but we will mention sure. you on this podcast. Like it could be like a, oh, that's so round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the kind yeah. of match that Susan would like. Pfft. Right. Fucking Susan. Yeah. Sure. But people will know your I'm name. That. Those people being Alec and I. <laughs> yeah. You can contact me on Twitter. I'm at Enemy of Both. Alec, you got anything? Yeah, I got my Sailor Moon podcast, Under the Tokyo Tower. We're on Twitter at underscore the Tokyo Tower. We're at midnightzero.nyc. You can also talk to us on midnightzero.nyc. Other than that, You'll just have to tune in next week 
to find out what's next. What's NXT? <laughs>